Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Let's pray up. Last last Sunday, I was at home and watched it on um, online, and it is so good. Josh, you've done such a great job setting this up online. It's so professional. I was like, man, look, you go, Blue Jean. That was so good. You know, so if y'all y'all online, you know, it, it really is it's a cool thing. So anyway, let's pray up, and um, we'll see what the Lord does this morning. Lord, I just ask you right now to anoint this this time. That you would, uh, yeah. Lord, in our own strength, we can't really do anything without your your power. Well, come anoint this time. That these words that I'm about to speak will have power. It would move hearts. It would open hearts, would draw hearts. It would give new hearts. Lord, I thank you for your presence this morning. Explode on us. Amen. All right, y'all. Well, this morning I, I was—I'm really excited about what's happening, and uh, wanted to share a couple of maybe a week or two ago. Ann and I were out at our cabin on a Friday night, and we were like, "Well, what do we want to do?" You know, and so we said, "Well, we'll rent a movie," and we click on—I don't know—it's Netflix or something, and the movie News from Around the World came on. And I thought, well, it's Tom Hanks, so it can't be bad if Tom Hanks is doing it. And so we were like, yeah, let's watch it. And so we watched the movie. When it, when, when it got finished, we said, we looked at each other and we said, that's a good movie. It's good. And I think Ann said, you know, it's maybe, maybe B, B plus, you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, B plus, pretty good movie. And uh, we uh, ended up going to bed and... I woke up in the middle of the night, one of my dogs, who I basically work for my dogs, uh, uh, woke me up in the middle of the night and had to go outside to go to the bathroom. And so I let them out. I sat down because they have to go down the steps and they walk around for a little bit. So it's usually about a five-minute wait. And as I'm sitting there, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about that movie. And I began to see a connection with the movie and with what's going on here at Blue Jean. And I began to see a connection with the inner healing and all that. And I was like, the next morning we got up, I said, man, that movie was a really good movie. I said, let me tell you what, what I was seeing and connecting. It wasn't just a story. I believe it was a metaphor for what's happening here. And so I want to tell you a little bit about the movie. I'm going to totally probably ruin it for everybody, but that's okay. You can watch it. I won't give you everything. 
But the movie involves a guy, Tom Hanks. He's the protagonist. He's the guy. And he's, this, the setting is in West Texas, uh, San Antonio, that area in West, West Texas. And it's right after the Civil War. And so it's a Reconstruction era uh, movie. And the uh, Union forces are occupying the South. And so they, they call them blues, the blues. They're in, the, uh, in that area. And Tom Hanks was apparently, in the movie, he was uh, an officer in the Confederate Army. And he'd come back after the war. And at one scene, he takes his shirt off, and you can see the, the camera shows his back. He's got wounds. You can see wounds on him. And so you know he's been through it. He's fighting for four years. And, uh, and, and he is a lonely alone, wounded, depressed, wandering man with no home. He, uh, what he does for a living, he goes from town to town to town and he reads news from the world. He picks up newspapers and then to these remote areas, these villages, people come and pay a dime to hear news from around the world. And he was a publisher in San Antonio before the war. He was married, had a home, had a business. Things were going great, had a happy life, his wife. They loved each other and all that. And then the war comes, and he just gets devastated. And he, he hasn't gone back home. He hasn't gone back to San Antonio. He knows something's happened to his wife, they're not together, but he, he hasn't dealt with that. All right, and so he's going from one village to another, and on the way from one village to another, he comes upon a, a wagon that, and, and a horse that's been robbed, turned over, and there's some dead people. And then he finds a little girl that's 10 years old and blonde-headed, just like German blonde-headed, she is, turns out, she's German descent in the movie, and finds her there alone, and he, speak, he can speak German. And so he says some words to her in German, she doesn't respond, and she says something in an Indian language. And she's dressed like an Indian. And so he's looking, and she's scared of him. She, eventually he gives her some food or something, and they, you know, she begins to realize she's not, he's not going to hurt her. And so he finds some papers uh, that tell him, the, the federal government, it says in there that she's on her way back to her biological family, but it's to her aunt and uncle. It's not to her mama and daddy. And so he's thinking, well, I can't, I can't leave her, but I, I don't want to get involved in this. And so... He gets her, takes her to the next town where there, there's federal government uh, people there. He takes them to them, and, and they're like, well, we're not going to fool with it. You, you deal with her. And there's a lady there that knows the Indian language that the child speaks. It's a friend of Tom Hanks. And so the, the woman in the town can communicate with the child. And the, the papers that Tom Hanks got... Uh, tell us, we find out, and from this interpreter, 
we find out that this child, when she was five, the Indians massacred her family, her mother and her father and her, her sister. So she was orphaned. And the Indians took her with them. And they raised her for a number of years as an Indian. But she doesn't look anything like an Indian. She's blonde hair. And, and then, through the interpreter, we find out that her family, the Indian family that adopted her and raised her, was massacred by the uh, U.S. Army. And they were, the settlers were pushing them out. And so her family, her second family, was massacred too. And the, and the army, when they saw her with the Indians, realized she was not really an Indian because of the blonde hair, and they took her, and they were going to restore her to her biological family. So you've got another person, the two main people. She has no home. She's basically wandering. And, and she keeps saying in her native language, I want to go home. I want to go home. And there's a scene in the movie where, where there's this raging river and she's on one side and her people, the Indian people, are on the other side and they're walking and she's yelling as loud as she can, come get me, I want to go home, I want to go home. And, they, and she can't get there. And they walk on. And so Tom Hanks sees all this. And so he understands that this child has been orphaned twice. Just devastation. And this child wants to go home. And so the whole time in the movie, Tom Hanks and her begin to develop a father-son relationship. There, he protects her. He begins to provide for her. He gives her food water at one point in the movie she can't walk uh, and he carries her he uh, uh, kills some people that were going to uh, kidnap her and abuse her in sex trade and so it, he's beginning to develop a father daughter relationship with this, this child and, uh, and so they go along and he keeps saying over and over and over along the journey because he's taking her back to her biological aunt and uncle. He keeps saying over and over and over, forget the past. Ignore the past. Don't think about the past. Just move forward. And he says, straight ahead, straight ahead, straight ahead, straight ahead. And, and he keeps saying that over and over. That's a continuing thing. Stuff the past. Don't think about the past. Move ahead. Ignore it. But like it didn't even happen. Just keep moving ahead. And at some point in the movie, the little girl conveys to him where he understands. She says to him, I can't move ahead and we can't move ahead until we've dealt with our past. And at some point along the journey, they come to a path that she recognized that leads to her home where she was where her mother and father and sister were massacred. And she starts down the path, and Tom Hanks is like, don't go there. It's going to bring up all kinds of bad things. It's going to really be hard for you and all that. And she says, 
I got to go. And so he follows her there. She goes in the house. She sees blood on the wall. She sees everything's basically like it was when she left the day she left. She finds her little doll and all that. And she goes in and just stands and looks and walks around. And he stands outside and she comes out and it's like, I'm ready to go. And so they go. And, uh, and so what she did in that, in that scene, I realized she was reconciling and healing some of her past by facing it, by dealing with it. Not, not like Tom Hanks kept saying, ignore it, stuff it, play like it never happened. You know, you're going to dwell on it. It's going to hurt. It's going to, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be this or that or the other. And she had the wisdom to know that she had to deal with it. She had to face it, and she had to rec come to a reconciliation with things from her past that were hindering her from going forward. All right? And so, fast forward, they find the child's aunt and uncle. And they're Germans. Well, Germans are known for working hard. I mean, they're working just basically desert land. They got plants planted and cows and sheep and goats and all that. And they show up. Well, they don't understand this little girl. She grew up as an Indian and, and on the prairie. And, and so she's nothing like them. And uh, she doesn't want to stay with them. Uh, they, the, the uncle and the aunt misinterpret some of her behavior as laziness or whatever, and it's not that at all, or rebellion, and it's not that at all. Um, and so she wants to go because she's begun developing a relationship with Tom Hanks, and when he reads the news, she started to help him. And she's a part of the scene. She's taking the money, and she's, she's a part of, of the little family that they have. Well, Tom Hanks leaves her and says, you've got to stay. This is your home. These are your people. And he does not want to. She does not want to. And so, so he leaves, leaves the child. But he, he decides to go back to San Antonio to face his past. He's seen what she did with her past. And so he too goes to San Antonio to deal with her past, his, his past, and face his past. Hey, would y'all close that door or ask them to uh, quit talking out there? That's very distracting to everybody, if you would. Thank you, Stacy. Um, and so they go to San Antonio, and, and he finds out what happened to his wife. His wife died of cholera. He goes to his house, and it's essentially in the same shape and situation when he left it. He even knows where his wife's perfume was and stuff in the drawers and things. And he goes, he smells the perfume, he goes, he looks, and at some point, he's finished, and he gets it. He's reconciled his past. Yeah, thank y'all. Cool. It's all good. <laughs> all right. And so, yeah, maybe y'all could close those doors. That would be real helpful. Thanks.
Awesome. All right, and so he, he realizes that he's really reconciled with his past that he didn't want to face. He wanted to keep moving forward, but he understood at some point that he couldn't really move forward until he had dealt with his past. And the scene is he leaves his house and he gets on his horse and he gallops out of town. And I realized when I'm sitting there in the middle of the night thinking about this, that what happened was he's reconciled with his past and now he's really ready to move forward. And he's able to see clearly. He's able to see that right before him, he's found his home. It's with this little girl that he can help and raise her as his own child that he could be her father, they could have a family, and they could be happy and find happiness and move forward. And so he rides like the wind, and he goes back to where she is, and he rides up, and she's sitting out in the yard, and she's got a rope tied around her ankle, and they've tied her to a, a post, like an animal. And he rides up, and he's like, what, what's going on? And the, the aunt said, she kept running away. We had to keep her here. And he goes over, he unties her leg, and he says, he hits his chest and he says, you belong to me. I belong to you. And he says, you're home here. You're home here. This is your home with me. And she's not sure she can trust him. She stands, she hesitates, and at some point, she moves towards him, they hug. The next scene you see, everything's awesome. He's with, she's with him, they're together, they're laughing, there's joy, and they've made a home and a family. Okay? And so... What's that all mean for Blue Jean? What does that story have to do with us or me? Each of us individually and as a family here. Well, sometimes to move forward, you got to deal with your past. You got to reconcile it. You got to come to a healing This has been true in my life. The, the, the mechanism or the process often for me has been what we call inner healing. I'm going to define that in a little bit. We're going to de-weirdify that word in a minute. But that is something that the Lord is leading us to here at Blue Jean. It's clear Isabel to me. It's not clear Isabel. It's clear Isabel to me that the Lord is leading us in this direction. You know, in my life, my experience has been sometimes, I, 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 describe, I describe my life in this way, uh, and, and you might resonate with this. I use a metaphor of a blanket, and it's like when you're in bed and it's really cold. I grew up in a house that didn't have central air heat. It was an older house. We had attic fans and floor furnaces, a window unit 
didn't happen till I was about in the seventh grade. You know, we, it was hot in the summer and it was cold in the winter, especially when you closed the door because the heat wouldn't get in your room. And I would blow smoke in the morning waking up. I'd open the door and then the heat from the hall would come on in. That's how we heated houses back then. And, um, and so if, you, if your blanket was covering you and you had an electric blanket or something, you were all good. But if that blanket got off of you a little bit, you got really cold. And so for me, life is like a blanket of grace that covers my life. And every now and then, the Holy Spirit will reach up and he'll pull that blanket back just a tad and expose an area of my life or something going on that he wants to deal with. And when that gets exposed, when that blanket of grace gets pulled back just a tad, it's uncomfortable. I don't want it to be exposed. It's not, a, it's not comfortable. And so I've learned to recognize and am learning to recognize that oftentimes the Lord doesn't highlight issues in my life or areas of my life that need ministry or need healing to condemn me or to embarrass me or hurt me, but to set me free and to heal me up. And so when those times come, when those things happen, I want to run to Jesus. And sometimes Jesus comes in the form of other people who can help you see the food in your teeth when you can't see it yourself. And so inner healing is like that. that I've found this personally to be true in my life. One of the first times I ever did inner healing, this is testimony, the very first time I ever did it, I had no idea what I was getting into, but knew that I was supposed to do it. And I went down to Jacksonville, Florida, to a place called Christian Healing Ministries, and spent three days down there in prayer with people that helped pray with me on issues. And one of the things that, I, that was life-changing for me down there was they said, Bob, you've never forgiven yourself for the mistakes and the things that you've done in your life. And I was like, that's, that's new information for me. I had, what are you talking about? They explained it to me. And I was able to forgive myself for my imperfections and my weaknesses and my mistakes that hurt others and hurt me. And they also prayed that guilt would leave me. And it did. There would be times before that that I would think about the past, particularly college in those times, and I would feel so bad about some of the things that happened or that I did, and I would feel like I had a 1,000-pound elephant or a 100,000-pound elephant on my chest. I would feel just like, oh, that's so heavy. I feel so bad about that. But after that day, I've never had that feeling again. You see, I dealt with my past. Just like the movie, I went back to some places that, that caused pain and wounds and stuff in my heart that were really preventing me from moving forward with Jesus because I was dragging around guilt and shame. And so I had to deal with the past to move forward. 
in my life. Now, I'm not going to bore you with a lot of details about the many times I've done inner healing since then and the many things that have happened for me, but it is real. And I can testify to that personally. I know it's real. You know, it makes sense that if you, y'all, y'all know we've talked about this during COVID for the first month or two, we had a nine million projects. We cleaned out, you know, how you've got all those, those uh, plastic containers that none of the tops fit and they don't fit together and all that and your closets are, are just full of junk and all that. Well, we cleaned up for six weeks. I don't know if y'all did that, but we did. We got rid of clutter so that you can, it's ordered and it's, it's, you know, the good stuff got in and had space for the good stuff and the bad stuff got out. Well, that's a great picture of what inner healing's like. You just get rid of the old garbage so that the good new stuff that Jesus wants to give can come in. Does that make sense? I want to read Isaiah 61. This is really, I think, a life verse for Blue Jean. This is a scripture about Jesus that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, got hundreds of years before Jesus was born, but it was about Jesus. And this is what Isaiah said about Jesus. The spirit of the... Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. That's Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And get this, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So the result of people that get healed up, whose broken hearts get healed up, who get set free, who get rid of the garbage, we're going to be the ones that help revitalize Soma and revitalize other people's lives. That's what happens. It's not just us that get the blessing. We're going to be blessing other people because we'll be better able to carry what the Lord wants to give us to help other people. And, and so, you know, it, this, this scripture is huge. I was thinking about it as I was reading it and pondering it this weekend. If you have a broken heart, if you are brokenhearted, you're brokenhearted because of something that's happened in the past. It's about the past that caused the broken heart. And so, if Jesus came to heal broken hearts, Jesus has come to heal places in our past that have caused the brokenness. If we are captives... If we have despair, we didn't get despair because we woke up in the morning and said, oh, I'm going to have despair. Despair comes from the past, from things that happened in the past 
that come forward and affect us now. These are all things that uh, the brokenness, the prisoner, all of that, it happens because of things in our past that we bring forward and are affecting us today. Hindering us from being all that Jesus wants us to be and do through us and with us and for us to experience. Jesus said in John 10, chapter 10, I came to give abundant life. I want to read real quick in the book of Luke, chapter 4. Verse 14. Now Jesus, I just read the Isaiah prophecy about Jesus. But the scene here is Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit's come down on him. And he's gone to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Been tempted by Satan. Whipped Satan's tail with the scripture. And come out going back home to Galilee. And listen to what Luke says Jesus did. Chapter 14, 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth. He went to his hometown where he'd been brought up. And on, on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. He found Isaiah 61. He gets the book of Isaiah, and he finds it. Isaiah 61, what we just read. And Jesus says, he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fastened on him. I mean, it's almost like he, he reads it, he puts it down, it's that dramatic pause. Everybody's like, what's going to happen next? And listen to what Jesus says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, hey guys, that scripture, it's about me. It's who I am. It's what I do. You know, we say today, Oh, just be you. I'll be me. You be, if Jesus is being him, guess what he's going to be doing when he shows up and hangs out with his people? He's going to be healing broken hearts. He's going to be setting captives free. He's going to be setting prisoners free and giving sight to the blind and, and giving good news to the people that are poor in spirit. He's going to be making us whole. Things will change when Jesus shows up. He, one of the things that is guaranteed when Jesus shows up and you give your life to him and you open yourself to him, you will not stay the same. It will not happen. And part of that 
I remember years ago when I first heard about this inner healing stuff. And I'm like, "What? this is kind of scary. This is weird. This is outside my, my box. This is, I've never experienced this. Let me, let me find out about it. Let me, you know, what is it? And I'm thinking, Lord, I know you're wanting me to do it because I've got so much garbage I'm hauling around. And I know you want to set me free. I'm, I'm confident of that, but I'm scared to death. And I was sitting on the, on the creek bank at Valley Creek out there near, near the, uh, the, um, the old Kenan's Mill. I'm sitting there on a sandbar bank by myself one Saturday morning. And I was like, Lord, I'm scared. I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm scared of this. I don't, but I stood up on that sandbank and I drew a line with my foot and I said, but God, I'm in. I'm in with you. And you see that line? I said, I'm stepping across it because I trust you enough. I'm scared to death, but I trust you enough that you're good and, and whatever you get me to do is going to be good for me. And I will do this. And I literally said this. I said, if I got to get naked in front of everybody, I'll do it. But I want to be free. I want to be healed up. And I want more of you. And I'm going to do it. Now, you give me the grace and the courage and the power, and the faith, and the trust to walk with you. And uh, about two months later, I was in Jacksonville, Florida. It was a life-changing experience for me. If you're walking with Jesus, if you want to walk with him, he is not going to let you stay where you are. Now, he, he will. He'll let you. But you will miss out on blessings and freedom and life. He will love you right where you are. You don't have to do anything else for him to love you, love you, love you right where you are. But he's got so much more he wants to give us. And if we want to walk in everything he's got for us, and I know y'all do, I do, then when he says so, we got to obey. We got to go do it. I want to show you this too. Healing happens in a multitude of ways. Wholeness comes in a multitude of ways. Abundance comes in a multitude of ways. There have been times in my life when I've been healed in an instant, supernaturally, boom, done, don't have to do it anymore. There's also been times that I've received healing and wholeness and experienced goodness in my life and it's happened in a process over time and nobody's had to ha have any part to play in that. It's just happened because I've hung out with Jesus. It's the old pickle in the pickle juice. You put the cucumber in the pickle juice and pretty soon it tastes like a pickle. It doesn't taste like a cucumber anymore. I didn't, you don't do anything. It just happens because you hang out with Jesus and stuff runs and stuff gets healed and there's no effort but there are things that Jesus has required of me faith and obedience that I would partner with him and be willing to do it the way that he has designed it to be done for me and inner healing has been one of those times where I've where you have to get with other people that can see my mother would want to knock me upside the head for saying this but to see you can't see a booger on your face you can't, or the food in your teeth. You're just too close to it. You can't see it because your eyes are too close. You've got to have somebody outside of you 
that can see it and say, hey, you got food in your teeth or do your nose or your zipper's down. You got to have somebody else to show you sometimes. Now, those are silly and maybe gross examples, but that's a great example of sometimes the Lord calls other people to help get the grave clothes off. I want to read this to you. If you look in John, the book of John, we're getting close to wrapping up, guys. Look in John chapter 11. This is Lazarus being raised from the dead. And Lazarus dies, y'all know, and, and Mary and Martha are his sisters, and they're great friends with Jesus. This is, the, this is the passage where Jesus wept. He was so sad. He was so brokenhearted about it, he cried. He didn't just cry, he wept, like, boo-hoo, you know, cry-cry. Not just tears, but boo-hoo crying. And uh, this is what happens. He hears about jo- uh, uh, Lazarus. He waits around until Lazarus dies. Then he comes. And, and when they get to, when he sees Martha and Mary in verse uh, chapter 11, verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, If you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know even now God will give you what you ask. And Jesus says, Your brother will rise again. And she says, Well, I know he will at the resurrection. And then Jesus says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, oh yeah, I believe it. You're the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And so then we go on down and he talks to Mary. And then they come to Lazarus. And this is what happens in verse 38. Jesus once more was deeply moved and he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha said, but Lord, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. And Jesus said, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And then Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice and he said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. He's looking like a mummy when he comes out. Now listen to this next sentence. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus could have just as easily gone up to him and started pulling it like a mummy on a cartoon and him zooming around and around and around like that and he, the grave clothes would have been gone. But Jesus didn't do that. He looked at the people standing there and said, you go help him get those old nasty, dead, gross grave clothes off of him. Jesus used somebody else to help someone that was born again, that had new life, resurrection life to get the grave clothes of the past off he used people to do that I want to say this as we wrap up something's going on at Blue Jean 
I know COVID is COVID. There's not many people here. There's some people online. But I think for a season, we've been in a, in a mode of getting prepared for when COVID's gone. And COVID's on its way out. It is, its days are numbered. Yeah, some of the construction things you've seen here and the improvements that we're making with sound equipment and video and the carpet and the other things that are going on, it's all part of getting ready for what's going to happen when everybody gets cut loose to get on back in the saddle. And one of the things the Lord is doing is this inner healing thing. He's bubbled it up. And it's not just me saying that. I want to make it really clear that this is something, our connection with Rock Hobbs was a divine appointment. We had, I didn't, I didn't know Rock Hobbs from a billy goat until we, Josh sent him an email because we were trying to get an inner healing session set up for somebody and ended up, he, he texts, he emails Josh back and says, the anointing's on this. I felt the anointing when I read your email. And we weren't saying, hey, we want to partner up. We want, to, we want a relationship. We were just like, how do we get somebody an inner healing thing? He t emails Josh back and says, the anointing's on this. Can y'all meet? And so we met with them, and we're like, something's up with y'all too, with us too. We, we feel it. And so we told the leadership team, and everybody's like, well, let's just take the next step. And so we said, okay, well, why don't you come preach? And he preached. He did a great job. I'll never forget the story about the eagles. And, um, and then I think uh, Ray, Ray went up there and spent some time with them and did some inner healing up there with them and came back with raving, glowing reports. Right, Ray? Uh, and so we're thinking, well, something's up with this. Back in August, do y'all remember us having the big meeting we had in August? And we told y'all we saw some core values, some things that were really important to Blue Jean. And one of the primary ones was we don't want to have a Corinthian church. The Corinthian church were a bunch of new converts and a bunch of young believers, and I'm one of those. And, and, but they were immature in how they handled each other. There was a lot of yaya going on and a lot of mess and all that. And we, we said... We, we want a mature church. We want not, not just people that come, but we want disciples. We want mature followers of Jesus. That was a core value. And one of the things, I don't know if y'all heard Rock Hobbs when he was here, he said one of the primary goals of their school is to disciple people, to help people grow and mature. I was sitting right there, and I wrote it down on my little phone thing. And then he said something else. He said, if you ask me what the main thing this is about, he said, it's like evangelism. He's like, when people begin to see the power of God and healing come and transformation come, people will want to come. They will be drawn to the power of God working in people's lives. It's power evangelism. If you want to see a place in Scripture where this happened, look at John chapter 4 when Jesus comes up to the woman at the well and, and says, hey, you've been married five times and you're shacking up. And she's like, holy cow, how did you know that? You must be a prophet. She goes into town, tells all her buddies, 
in town, they come out, they meet Jesus, and they said, well, we believe you because you said it, but now we believe for ourselves that Jesus is the Messiah. It was power evangelism. Jesus got a word of knowledge for this woman. She was blown away by it. She went and told everybody. Everybody came out, and they all got saved. They all believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Power evangelism. When people start seeing the manifestation and reality of God, not as a theory, not as something, some, something we talk about, but as it's someone we, that we experience, people will come. One of the benefits that he said that will happen is that a church will come together. One of the core values is we have a family. We want family. One of the things Josh has helped all of us see is there's momentum building. And it may not, we may not have seen it in the natural yet because of COVID, but the foundation is being set. I see the momentum. We've got the beginning of these classes We've already got 20 people signed up at least, and there's probably going to be more that come. That's a lot of people that are going to be learning about this and being a part of this. And there will be more opportunities. If you are interested in being a part of this, is this, this is like a class. It's not like a small group where you show up and you don't show up one Wednesday and you, you show up another Wednesday. This is like a commitment for 12 weeks. It's like school for two hours on Wednesday nights. It's going to start no, not this Wednesday but the next. So there's a real commitment to it. If you're interested, see Josh. We said we're going to throw it out to anybody that the Holy Spirit leads to do this. See Josh and he can help you get signed up and show you what to do. But this is something that the Lord is doing on his own. He has dreamed this up and stirred this up. The leadership team, when we voted on this, whether to do it unanimously, and I could say enthusiastically, said this is something we feel like the Lord is doing. We want to join him. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, oh, Henry Blackaby from years ago, that Experiencing God book that so many of us did 20, 25 years ago. Henry Blackaby's a good old Baptist guy, spirit-filled Baptist guy. Wrote this book that a lot of people in the downtown churches did. And, and one of the spiritual principles in that book said, what people normally do in the church is, they say, we want to do something for God. They start doing it and they say, Lord, bless it. But he said, what, what the biblical principle is, is you should look and see what God is doing, and then you join Him. The first way you see God's man-sized results, if you join God in what He's already doing, you will see supernatural God-sized results. That's what we are doing. The Lord is on the move, and He's moving with this. This is His decision not ours. We are recognizing what he's doing and we are joining him. And I'm excited. I'm blown away that he would choose us to do something like this with. You know? It, it's amazing to me. I, I, you know, every church has a calling and every church has a stream, but it just blows me away that the Lord would trust this to us. It's a big deal. And I'm excited. And it's, it's about to explode. 
the fruit of this will be discipleship, maturity, healing, freedom, unity, family, evangelism, momentum. These are exciting times in the kingdom. And they're exciting times here. And we are a people that live by faith, not by sight. I don't see it right now in the natural, but in the spirit, I can see this place filled up with people that are being healed up and helping others to get healed up and set free. We will be used by the Lord to help rebuild this city and to restore the ancient ruins in people's lives and in our community. That's a high calling. And it, it is a humbling, humbling calling. But it's also really exciting. So um, let's pray. And then we'll wrap this up. And Lord, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. God, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. When we started with Blue Jean, what, 17 years ago? Uh, that first Sunday that we... Um, it was about, it was in the first Sunday in February, I think, in 2008. Yeah, that's, that's when it was. We had our first little service, probably 20 people, 25 people, um, to come as far as we have and to see what you're doing now, that you're not finished. You're about to kick it into high gear. Lord, we're so grateful for your faithfulness and your goodness and your kindness. We... Um, we love you. We, we want to obey and follow, not because we got to, but because we get to. You're so awesome. You're so fun. You're so good. You're, you're so much about life. Everything you do comes alive. God, touch us. Touch each one of us and move us where you want us to be in this stream that, you're, you're, that you are pouring out on us and through us. Lord, thank you. We love you. We praise your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.